Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. This is episode number 76 of the Tartan Talks podcast, our monthly conversation with an American Society of Golf Course Architects member. And boy, this is a fun conversation. Joining us is Richard Mandel. Richard recently released a book called Principles of Golf Course Architecture. And our topic for this podcast, yeah, you probably guessed it, are the principles of golf course architecture and why anybody that has an interest in golf courses or works on golf courses should at the very least be aware of the principles of golf course architecture and how they affect what the architect is trying to achieve with a golf course. But before we get going with Richard, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a big supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad they're on board and we're glad that Richard was able to take so much time to join us. Richard, thanks for joining us. You are our guest way back on Tartan Talks number nine, which was recorded in 2017. Tell our listeners what you've been up to the last five years since we last had you on the podcast. Well, it's good to be back, Guy, and I think we were your first in-studio podcast as well, right? Yep, yep. You were in a, yeah. here in Northeast Ohio doing some work and stopped over and visited our office. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I've been just continuing, uh, continuing the march, really, doing the same thing we've been doing. We've been pretty busy in the last five years working on a variety of golf course projects, private and municipal. Yeah, we're going to get into one of your other projects, your recently released book, Principles of Golf Course Architecture, here in a few minutes. But how has the increased play in golf interest over the last two and a half years impacted your business? And what type of opportunities maybe are being discussed now without giving away any specifics that maybe weren't discussed a few years ago? Uh, we, we've been pretty busy. We, we've always been busy. You know, since the 08 recession, we, we, even back then, we never slowed down. And mm. so, and we're about as busy as we've ever been now. And so we had no hiccups pandemic-wise, with the exception of a few projects that were slated for construction that spring got pushed back. Mm-hmm. And so that was it, for, you know, for day-to-day operations. Now, as far as new opportunities are coming, there, there is a lot of work out there, and, you know, there's, we're still waiting to have that perfect um, links-type sandy soil site project to drop in our lap. But what we are finding is, of course, an increase in short course opportunities, but also a few projects that are just complete blow-ups that we would classify as new, just on old golf courses. So uh, we're excited, and we've got work from Denver to Cape Cod to Florida and, every, and points in between. So you have all this going on. You're executing projects. You're trying to find new opportunities. How do you find a time to write a book while you're doing all this? I had trouble finding the time for the longest time, no pun intended. And this idea has really been brewing for like 10 to 15 years in my mind. And I started doing research really way back before I even started the Pinehurst books. And, you know, that first Pinehurst book was a was 2007. We redid it in 2013. But even prior to that, I started thinking about this idea, principles of golf architecture, and sort of, sort of fiddled around a little bit with researching it. But as you've, you know, as you've mentioned, we've been so busy, we, we didn't really, I didn't really get a chance to go at it full speed. And so for a while there, it obviously took a backseat to the other books that I've written. But once all that was, was, passed for a while for really the last 
six or seven years, it seems like every January I would first my New Year's resolution, my sole New Year's resolution would be, let's get the the golf course design theory book done. And so I said, all right, every Tuesday and Friday afternoon I'm going to dedicate to the book. Well, by Martin Luther King Day, I that that wasn't going to happen. And so every year is the same thing. And then finally, about 40 years ago, it sort of took hold. And I said, okay. Uh, I mean, I got past Martin Luther King Day, was still working on Mondays and Thursdays, and just slowly cranked it out. Um, I don't want to say in my spare time, but I actually had to carve out time to do it. And then in the last two years, it sort of picked up steam, and I dedicated more and more time to it, yet still was able to meet all my clients' deadlines and all my other obligations. So it's really a, a matter of managing my time and not wasting time doing irrelevant things. And you can get a lot done writing in airports. You're able to write in airports? Wow, that's something that I've struggled with over the years. You've got no choice, really, if we're going to do something like this and get it done. Yeah. You have to, you have to adapt, right? So any downtime I had, instead of just watching people walk by, I'd, I'd try to be productive, which is the way I've always been. Any uh, favorite libraries, coffee shops? In other places you write at, too, in addition to airports? No, no, just whenever. I mean, I have written in coffee shops here and there, you know, just because of where I was. I was on the road and had some time. But I've spent a lot of time in clubhouses mm-hmm. writing writing as well. You know, when you have projects under construction, um, you know, I don't need to be sitting there with my shaper every single minute you know we'll go out and talk about things and go over some things and then it's best that i just get away and let let the shaper do his work and then come back so you know i spend i'll spend days at a time on site and between you know discussing things with the shaper there's good time to work so i spend a lot of time in clubhouses but not no favorites really my favorite place is probably my my desk in my office It's kind of interesting talking writer to writer here before we get into some of the principles of golf course architecture. I I wrote a cover story last week where I started it in one library, went to another library to write the second part of it, and then did the final editing of it in my office. Is writing like golf course architecture and the creative process of golf course architecture, do you feel like there are certain days you have a rhythm and flow and certain days you don't? Well, absolutely, yeah. And, uh, it's not a for me. It's 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 absolutely the same thing. It's a creative process, and the way I design golf courses and the way I write are very similar in the sense of my first step is I'm just going to throw stuff down on paper and just get all my ideas out of my head, throw it on paper. No matter how how jumbled these ideas are, how contradictory these ideas are, and just just go just. Stream of consciousness, right? Stream of consciousness, design. You know, here's a great location for a green. This is a great spot for bunkers. I love this ridge. We need, you know, we need a water feature here for for whatever drainage. Just throw it all out of paper, with it, whether it's lines or words, and then go back. And once it's all out, then sift through and figure out what you got. So it's absolutely very, very similar. What led to you writing this book, and why? Were the principles of golf course architecture the perfect topic for you? Well, the original title was going to be Golf Course Design Theory. That's sort of the working title. And 
it took a while to come up with the title, Principles of Golf Architecture. You would think it would be easy. And it was easy, but it just took some time. You, you, you know, you have an idea. You can't really, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily want to come up with a title right away. You don't want to do an introduction right away because you don't really know where the book's going to go. Um, the concept was, I, I remember back in school at University of Georgia, landscape architecture, um, the number one program in football right now, just mentioning that. With, oh, wow, you're going to irritate all the Tennessee fans right now by saying that. <laughs> Tennessee fans, please. I was shooting to irritate all the Ohio State fans more than anyone. <laughs> and we're looking forward to playing Ohio State if Ohio State can last that long. But I digress. <laughs> So in design school, you know, they would talk about the elements of design and the principles of design. We'd all look at each other like, what are they talking about when they talk about line or, or, or color or form, you know, the, the, the elements of design? And we could understand the principles a little bit better, like balance and variety and unity and things like that. But the definitions were always so convoluted that – it even left, you know, it left designers confused. And so I thought, I, I'm curious about design. I mean, obviously, I've been designing for, for, for decades, but I'm curious about what do those things really mean, and do I really think about the elements and principles of design in my design process? And I subconsciously do, but I needed to explore that. And so I thought, well, let, let's let's indeed explore what those things are and how they apply to golf architecture. And so the, the whole book was really, it really was stream of consciousness. I mean, I knew I was going to write a book about golf course design. I knew I didn't want to write the typical book, Chapter 1, Strategic Design, Chapter 2, Penal Design, Chapter 3, Heroic Design, Chapter 4, Bunkers, Chapter 5, Greens, you know, things like that. I wanted to do something a little bit different. And, I mean, I... I've got a great collection of golf architecture books, uh, you know, as far as physical elements, physical things, that's my prized possession is my collection of golf architecture books. And I love, you know, Golf Architecture in America by Thomas and Lynx by Robert Hunter and, and a bunch of others. But those two books for me early in my career were sort of um, very influential, along with uh, – Simpson, you know, Simpson and Weathered's book. Um, so knowing that going down this sort of elements and principles of design, that would be sort of the hook. And where actual discussion of golf architecture fell, I didn't know just yet. So my first step was, all right, let's figure out what these elements of design are. And as confused as myself and my fellow design students were back in the 80s about hearing about this, if you were to research what are the elements of design or the principles of design, people are all across the board. And there's so much discussion or debate as to what's a, what's a principle of design or what's not a principle of design. But there are, there are some basic – everybody agrees on certain elements of design and everyone agrees on certain principles of design. Um, and like the elements would be pretty much the first half of the book is line, space, shape, form, texture, color, and scale. Universally, those are the seven elements of design everybody agrees on. And there are a couple others that are similar, like some people talk about tone instead of color, and things like that. So there's one or two on either, uh, on either end of the spectrum that others consider elements. And then the principles are the same. 
there's a basic seven or eight balance, rhythm, contrast, emphasis, movement, portion, proportion, unity, and variety. And so once I establish which are the elements that I'm going to talk about and which are the principles I'm going to talk about, then I just started researching them. And I just started with chapter one, which is line. You know, and everybody knows, we, we all know what a line is. But but what does that actually mean? And I know it sounds kind of goofy when I say that, but, you know, it's it's a series of points be, from, it's a series of points that create a line. How does that apply to golf architecture? Let, let me back up. And each chapter really defines as best as I possibly could in the most simplest terms for anyone and everyone to understand what line meant, what space was, what the difference between shape and form was. And I had to really develop these in my head and figure out how to get them on paper so other people could understand. For instance, shape and form. You know, generally people might think they're the same, but shape is more two-dimensional, like a circle and a square. Form is three-dimensional, like a ball or a cube. So went through all that process. In each chapter, I would define what those, what the element was, and then sit back and say, all right, well, how will the element, how does line apply to my work of golf course design? And the obvious link between the element of line and golf architecture is, you know, the center line of a golf hole. And that leads into strategy and design as far as strategic design, heroic design, penal design. And so that first chapter ironically starts with the discussion about penal strategic heroic design and breaking all those those three general concepts down. So it gave me the avenue to talk about those things in that chapter, if that makes sense. Richard, we have a lot of uh, golf course superintendents and assistant superintendents and aspiring turf pros that listen to this podcast. How important is is it for them to have at least a basic understanding of the principles of golf course architecture? I think it's extremely important. You need to understand why the golf course exists. Mm-hmm. And whether you, you know, whether you agree with the golf, you know, the features of a golf course or not, you know, there you need to understand why a golf course architect may do what he or she does and what the and and, and the reasoning behind it. And that just is going to make you more, you know, more informed as a golf course, as a steward of your property, to understand why a bunker is there, to understand what is important from an aesthetic standpoint as opposed to a strategic standpoint. You know, for instance, we were up in in Boston for the Open this year. Excuse me, and we went to a golf course, a whole historic golf course, which which I won't name, but it's a great layout. But we got to the 16th hole, and there were a couple bunkers that were rebuilt. They were just refinishing their laying sod, and they were hideous, and they matched nothing else that I'd seen the first 15 holes. And so I, in my mind, wonder, you know, that as an architect may wonder, why in God's name would somebody do that when they have inspiration all around them and precedent all around them? Well, I think a book like this and would really help um, superintendents to understand. It was an in-house project. But it would help superintendents to understand the importance of aesthetics, obviously, in addition to strategy. But in this in this example, why it's important to make sure that all your bunkers look the same, and what's what are the benefits of it, and what do what the players appreciate, and all of that. So yeah, I think it's a very important 
book for superintendents and for golfers as well. It goes back to the same thing for golfers. If golfers can understand what's behind the mind of a golf course architect, as scary as that might be, then they would enjoy the game of golf more. What principle did you enjoy writing about the most? Was there a chapter in the book that just came really easy to you because of your passion for that particular principle? Well, you know, like I'd mentioned, I, I didn't really, I didn't really know where each chapter was going to go. I knew like the principle of quirk and the principle of mystery. Now, those are going to be fun chapters. So, so let me back up and just say, once I, there are two sections to the book. There's the elements of design, which is all of those, el- those seven elements that I mentioned earlier. But I added another element, which is the most important element that a golf course architect needs to consider and that's the element of nature the ground itself and so that was a fun chapter to write and then the second half of the book are principles so once i got through the first seven or eight general design principles then i had some fun right and started coming up with randomness um quirk mystery those are those are really fun chapters but then other chapters sort of showed up as i you know i thought about like luck the principle of luck. And I started writing a chapter called The Principle of Luck when I realized that luck wasn't really the right word and chance was the most appropriate word because you can't really design luck, but you can design for chance. You know, for instance, the way you mow, uh, I think of a par three. I think of actually going back to University of Georgia, I think of the eighth hole at the UGA golf course when I was in college was a downhill par three. And the green was sort of on a peninsula. It was really on, on, a, on a side slope. And you could always hit your tee shot. You can hit it off the hillside and let it trickle down to the putting surface, especially if the pin was tucked close to that. And it was a better, a better way to play that hole. Well, if it's all deep rough, you're never going to get there. But if you cut it to fairway length, then you can use that sort of member's bounce what we, we a lot of us refer to. You could use that member's bounce to try to get your ball close to the pin with your tee shot. And there's an element of chance there. You know, sometimes people, you know, people always talk about getting lucky and complain about bad luck. But an architect can't control luck. We can only put things out there that make the golfer a little bit more apt to take a risk funny when people take risks and they try to carry a certain hazard and they're successful it's a great shot but when they don't make it it's bad luck right i mean how many times have you played golf you played this weekend maybe how many times did you play and you thought well that's a bad that's bad luck but you never you know you you sort of somehow stifle the good luck portion of things there's a group of chapters there par playability difficulty fairness penalty, and challenge. I didn't really start with any of those chapters in mind with the exception of the principle of playability and the principle of, of difficulty. But as I started writing those chapters, I would start some chapters and realize, well, this really needs to be broken out into more chapters. And I would back up and, and have multiple chapters going all at one time. You know, like, for instance, difficulty, penalty, and challenge they're fundamentally different, but we all use those terms almost interchangeably, like we use a variety. People use the term variety as a catch-all for almost anything. You know, for instance, 
the, you know, the principle of balance is a little bit different than the principle of variety. But you want balance in your golf course, and the way to get that is you have to have some variety in it as well. And so when people talk, and rhythm, rhythm is another principle that often gets confused for variety. I mean, I think the, the average person, when they talk about rhythm, they think about variety. But rhythm is a little bit different than variety when it comes to the principles of design. Uh, rhythm is, you know, its, it's derivation is from sound, right? So a, a music, a, a song has rhythm. Maybe it doesn't have rhythm. You can have a good rhythm. A song can have a good rhythm. It could have a bad rhythm. A golf course can have good rhythm and bad rhythm. And, you know, if a golf hole, if you had 18 straight holes, it's poor rhythm because it's all one type, such as let's classify it as, as type A. There's no rhythm with if every hole is classified as an A. Now, if you have holes that go, you know, Let's say they all go in the same direction, but if they go half of them go in one direction, half of them go in another direction, then you've got two different holes. The holes that go north, let's say, are A, and the holes that go south are B. So you're starting to create a rhythm, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. It's repetitive, and it's not the greatest rhythm. But let's just throw in a hole. Let's, let's take another six holes and, and make them go east and we'll classify them as C. As long as there's a difference, it doesn't really matter. But now you've got A, B, C. You know, A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C. You've got variety. You've got a bit more of a rhythm, but maybe you can do even more. You can add D. You know, and then, so A, B, C, D holes, north, south, east, west, let's say. But let's take the D holes and now let's create more rhythm with the D, and we've got a, a, you know, capital D is an uphill hole, and a lowercase d is a downhill hole. So now you might have A, B, C, D, uppercase, A, B, C, D, lowercase. You get more and more rhythm in your routing and more and more variety. And so that's the, sort of the principle of design when it comes to rhythm, and variety is an element of that. But they're really two distinct things, you know. So, one of the things that happens to me as a writer, Richard, is that there are certain stories where you know you know the subject matter, you have great sourcing, you've done great uh, research, you think it's going to be easy to write, and then you just get mind numbed by it. Were there any chapters in this book that were really tough to write about that you knew you had to write anyway? Uh, yeah, and and all those chapters I mentioned about defining the difference between. Difficulty, fairness, penalty, and challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, that was start. That was one chapter, the chapter of difficulty, and everything else came out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, two specific chapters I think about is the chapter, the principle of par, and the principle of angles. Um, they were a little difficult to write, and I wasn't. You know, they they're more explaining the game. Well, par is more explaining the game of golf, and and I found myself defining course rating. And, uh, and course, you know, and index and, and talking about handicap and all of that. So it's sort of an interesting chapter to write, but it was difficult because I didn't really, I, I kind of knew as I was writing the rest of the, these other chapters, I kind of knew like, I got to address what par actually means. And then the next thought in my mind was, but I don't really give a hoot about par. And I know that's crazy for a golf course architect to say, but it's true. Like, I don't really know 
if you took a random course of mine, I might not be able to tell you the overall par of the course or of each nine. I mean, obviously, I know the par of every single hole, but I don't necessarily care uh, whether it's a par 70, 71, or 72. And I might not remember if it's par 36, 36, or 35, 37. And so I wanted to wanted the reader to understand how I look at par as almost secondary to the experience of golf. You know, golf architecture, in, in, in a nutshell, is somebody creating a golf hole. You know, I'm going to start at point A, the tee, and point B will be the golf hole. And I'm going to either utilize, you know, I'm going to put things in between A and B and let you figure out how to get from A to B. And if it takes you two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine strokes, it, it takes you that. But I don't necessarily want to spoon feed you. All right, you're standing on the tee. Here's where you want to hit. Then you want to hit to there. I don't look at it that way. I really just am going to put hazards out there or find natural hazards and allow you to figure out the best way to go, which is how golf really evolved, you know, hundreds of years ago, you know, in, in, on Lynx land. We, you know, our, our forefathers took sticks and rocks and went from point A to point B, and they avoided the high grasses, which is now called rough, and found the lower grasses where sheep would would graze. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's evolution, it's common sense. If I'm going to get from point A to point B, I want to make sure I can find it as I hit the ball. And then we eventually found, rap, they eventually found rabbit holes, which, you know, and the grass around the rabbit holes were, were grazed even tighter because rabbits were grazing instead of, instead of uh, sheep. And so that's a perfect example of how golf started. We were, somebody was at point A, and they wanted to go get to point B, and they dealt with everything in, the, in between. So par is, is secondary to the experience in my mind. Par is more something that a professional is concerned with because they're making their money by shooting lower scores. And we sometimes get confused with that, and we think that, you know, I mean, we think that the number is the most important thing. And for a lot of us, it is. And I won't deny standing on the tee every time I play, whenever that is, that I think, you know, I'm going to try to break 80 today. You know, so, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of wired that way as well. But we, in that chapter, we talked about match play versus metal play and sort of reinforced the reason why I love match play so much is because it doesn't matter necessarily what the score is you're not you're only playing against your you're playing the same hole against your opponent and it doesn't matter what the par is it matters what your opponent shoots and if you're higher or lower than your opponent richard a lot of the golf course work that goes on these days is obviously golf course renovations and enhancements how do the principles of golf course architecture factor into decisions made during a renovation or course enhancement project well, golf architecture is golf architecture. So whether you're designing new or doing renovations or redesigns or restorations, the principles apply. Whether it's a championship course, or a regulation course, or a short course, all the principles apply. Uh, renovation and restoration, you know, in my mind, is much more challenging than new courses in general. Yet those principles still apply. You just have to factor in the history of the holes. And I don't necessarily mean like the history of, 
of a restoration of what Donald Ross or Tillinghast did originally. I mean the history in, of how do the golfers look at this hole today. And there's baggage, you know, in, in golf course renovation and restoration. Architects, we deal with, with, with golfers' baggage. You know, for instance, I hate this hole. This hole's not, is, this hole's unfair because every time you hit it to the right, it kicks further right. Well, that's not unfair. It's just you keep hitting it to the right. So why don't you learn how to hit it to the left? So there's there's baggage there. So anyway, back to your question, the principles of design all all apply. From an aesthetic standpoint, like let's, let's take a Ross restoration I did for the Country Club of Asheville, North Carolina, a few years ago. There are no Ross plans. I had a 1951 aerial. That's it. The 16th hole, though, by the way, uh, it was called Beaver Lake originally. And the 16th hole, the Ross drawing of the 16th hole is actually in um, in George Thomas's Golf Architecture in America book. So we had that. But other than that, we had nothing but a 1951 aerial to go by. And in the 1951 aerial, there were 10 holes that had bunker front left, bunker front right. Or maybe there were like 13. And that held through to 2017 or whatever the year was. Well, there's not much variety there. There's not much rhythm there. Um, there's unity, that's for sure. But we changed that a bit. You know, we changed. We didn't have his original plans. And again, we don't know how much of Ross's plan survived to 1951. But understanding the principles of design and looking and thinking beyond just what's there and thinking outside the box of let's make sure we don't have 12 13 holes that have bunker front left bunker front right that's just too much repetition and so if you understand you're thinking about repetition uh, rhythm variety and then you know you're going to apply that to this situation and make some changes to make it a little bit better and again it's a restoration but it was hard because we had very little to go on as far as Ross goes. And we knew also in the 60s that, that uh, the pro had made major changes to the greens. But nonetheless, that's a good example of how uh, the understanding of principles of design can help you be a better architect. How do today's maintenance standards and decisions that clubs and facilities make on playing conditions, how, how do they impact the principles used to design a Have the principles changed because of some of today's modern maintenance standards? Well, the principles don't change, but the application of the principles do. And a lot of design gets lost in, you know, a lot of the principles of design get lost in the principle of fairness. You know, and, and for me, there's no such thing as fairness uh, in design. Very few, little, very few things can we do as architects could be considered unfair. For instance, creating a, 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 an eight-foot-deep bunker that is only five feet wide, where it's a coffin, you can't even swing a club. You know, if you design something like that, yes, that's unfair. But for the most part, everything's fair game. What happens is maintenance practices change. Like we had Bobby Jones down in Sarasota. We're under construction right now. And we're, we're working with Indigo, um, a subsidiary of Troon. used to be the Billy Casper people. They're managing the course. And I was with the superintendent, and he asked, you know, I said, what are you thinking about as far as uh, green speeds? 
And he said, I'm thinking around 11, 12. You know, and I said, well, I'd like to think more like nine, nine and a half because we want more contour here and we want to create a fun and enjoyable experience and we want to create some cool, uh, you know, internal contours on these greens. And he said, yeah, I understand. I like that. Now, if I was to design greens thinking about, you know, I'd much rather like a slower green with a lot of cool contour than a very fast green that's pretty much flat because it has to be to maintain a 12 or 13. So if I create a green with the mindset of this is going to be running at a, an 8 or a 9, which is a lot faster than most people think. And with a lot of great contour, it's more fun as well. But then the superintendent or the club decides, oh, well, we want to run, we're going to run these at 12 and 13. Well, I'm dead on arrival. They're, going to, they're not going to get ticked off. At, the golfers aren't going to get ticked off at the superintendent. They're going to get ticked off at the golf course architect. How can he design such unfair greens? Well, they're not unfair. The speed's unfair. So the height of cut is unfair. So that's how the principles of design sort of get lost when we try to create a lot of variety or movement, you know, and yet it's not maintained properly, then that's an issue. And it goes both ways. But for the mo- you know, if I want to create a lot of randomness in a golf course, the principle of randomness, that might require me to, not that I would do this, but throw a hundred bunkers all over the place. Well, if I was to do that for a golf course, a municipal course, that doesn't have the budget to handle maintaining 100 bunkers, then that's where I'm forcing a principle of design and a concept and onto the golf course and the, and the uh, maintenance practices. That's unfair, if that makes sense. So the next time I'm playing with a friend or somebody else that complains about an unfair pin placement, should I just say, no, nah, the pin's fair, that it's the green speed that's unfair, Richard? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? I'll have to note the reaction when I do that. Now, if we design a green that has slopes, you know, softest slope is 4%, and it, and it runs from a 4 to a 7% for the most part, and there's no place to, for pinnable pins, it doesn't matter if you're running a 12 or, or an 8, mm-hmm. and then that's on the architect as well, you know. it's I, But mm-hmm. you, can, you, can, you can slow it down to a 4 and make those contours work. Now, I'm not bailing the architect out with that comment. I'm just saying, you know, a lot of this book is fundamental. And it's, you know, let's just break things down to the simplest, in the simplest way, just so we can understand it all. So, you know, if I was, I just said, you know, hey, everything from a 4 to a 7% slope at a 12 or 13, that's unfair. It's the speed that's unfair. At an 8, the speed might still be unfair. At a 4, it might work, mm. but who wants to, you know, we aren't putting on fours. We haven't been putting on fours in the last 50 years. So, but if an architect continued to do that and expected his his clients to run greens at a four, that architect's not going to last very long in the business. You know what I mean? Mm. And if he constantly has four to seven slopes everywhere and the majority, you know, in a nine or 10 or 11 is acceptable, that architect may not last very long in the business either. So, yes, there's very few things that are truly unfair design-wise, but there are a lot of things that architects do that 
that become unfair based on maintenance practices. Again, so it's not on the design, it's on the maintenance, but it's the architect's responsibility to recognize how things are going to get maintained and not create a situation like that. I liked all the chapters, but one chapter that I particularly liked and one thing I particularly find fascinating on golf course are quirky features and quirky designs. Uh, what are some of the quirkiest things you've seen on golf courses, Richard? Any stick out, out to you when you were writing that chapter? So, so quirk, that's a little bit of a controversial mm-hmm. topic. And in my mind, I think that I don't think quirk should be manufactured. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think quirk happens naturally. And um, there's things that are really cool and really interesting, but they might not necessarily be quirky. You know, quirk is, in my mind, quirk is when an immovable force hits an immovable object. That's not the right, that's not the right quote, but you know, you know where I'm going with that. Yep. So, for instance, I think of one of my favorite courses is White Bear Yacht Club, you know, in outside St. Paul. Minnesota. And I just love that golf course. And there are some things out there that are quirky, but there are also things that are just really cool, you know? And so, but I think of like, I think it's the third hole is a par three. And it's sort of at the, at, at, at a back end of, of a prop of the property. And it's as if the architect just, you know, ran up against the property line and fit the golf course in there. Willie Watson was the original architect, yet people think that Ross did some stuff out there, and he was out there, and he somehow gets credit for a lot. But it was Willie Watson that did the original routing. And so the quirkiness in the hole is that it's a really short par three, and there's pretty much just a, a thin ridge between the tee and the green to get from the tee and the green. And the green is hard up against the property line and falls hard and it's only like 20 paces long so to speak and so i look at that as somewhat uh quirky you know that i think uh i was saying that the irresistible force meeting the immovable object that's what i was looking for the irresistible force that's how i would define quirk and i think that's that's an interesting example of quirk um braemar in Edina, a new course on an old on an old piece of property that I built a few years ago, has this huge drumlin, which is just this big mound that sort of pops up out of nowhere and doesn't really mat doesn't really have a precedent around there. That's a quirky feature, and then it's a matter of utilizing that quirky feature. So um, that's another example of, of, of quirky. You know, I think about like the thirteenth hole at at um, North Berwick. You know, that's somewhat quirky because they built the green right up against that stone wall. And back then, they may not have been able to do anything other than that. And so it's quirky. But if they had a choice at, in, the, in that, you know, years, hundreds of years ago, it naturally came and the golfers found that hole, basically. If they had a choice to put it somewhere else, I'm not sure it would become, it would be considered quirky. At least in my mind, it wouldn't. Would it be cool? Absolutely but not quirky because there was a choice in that matter, if that makes sense, yep. you know. I always ask writers this, how much longer could you have gone with the book? Were there any uh, principles or elements or topics that just didn't make the cut? No, I was contemplating eliminating some that didn't, you know, but I decided they need to be written about. Now, 
there were chapters I had ideas about that sort of got engulfed into other chapters. Like I was going to do a chapter called The Principle of Restraint, but it really worked as a sub-principle of the principle of simplicity. I was going to do the principle of shot-making, but really shot-making, a lot of principles apply to shot-making, like movement, for instance. And that's where the majority of the discussion of shot-making is, is in the principle of of uh, of movement. And then I was going to do the principle of pattern or the principle of repetition. And those really fall into the principle of rhythm. You know, repetition, going back to all the holes that are A, 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 or A, B, A, B, A, B. That's repetition. So there are principles that you might not want to follow and principles that, that you do want to follow. And there are a lot of principles within these chapters, like going back to Quirk, the principle of gimmick. You know, once you, there's a line you cross from Quirk to gimmick, where if you're building stone walls on your golf course, that's nothing but gimmick. You know, um, if you find stone walls and they're, they're, they're somehow you have no choice but to leave that stone wall in your design, that's the uh, immovable object and the irresistible forces, i got to get a golf hole here, then that's quirk. So there are a lot of principles that don't have their own chapter, but they're supporting information in, in the chapters that do exist. Uh, last thing here, and before I get to this question, I just want to tell all of our listeners that this is a must read for anybody that works on a golf course or plays golf. To me, it's one of the most consequential golf architecture books written in modern times because there haven't been a lot of modern books written like this. And Richard, where can somebody get, get your great work? How can somebody get their hands on the book? Right now, the best way to get it is to go to our website, which is golf-architecture.com. Mm-hmm. And you can order it there and then we'll, we'll ship it to you. But if you are international, email ahead of time because we have to, there's, there's shipping, but shipping within the United States is is uh, covered in the cost, but shipping beyond the United States is not. So golf-architecture.com, and, and you can find it there. Uh, there's a link in the upper left-hand corner of our, of our website. Mm-hmm. Richard, thanks so much for joining the podcast again. But I think more importantly here, thanks for writing the book. I finished the book two weeks ago, and I'm already looking at golf courses differently now than I did before I read the book. So congratulations on everything you've done in not only your golf course architecture career, but your writing career now, Richard. Well, I appreciate it, guys. We've gone, we go back a while and I appreciate all your support over the years. And it was really a labor of love. Uh, and it was fun to just have that stream of consciousness in writing. And like I said, as I started most, almost every chapter, I had no idea of where they were, each chapter was going to go, <laughs> but it was fun how, where they ended up. <laughs> 